This is Shop Talk Radio, Episode 1, with Scooter Braun. Welcome to Shop Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, and on this show, we bring you inspiring guests to dive underneath the hood of the creative entrepreneur lifestyle to bridge the gap between art, commerce, and inspiration. I want to welcome you to the first ever episode of Shop Talk Radio, where we will be diving underneath the hood of creative entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs in business, and really what it takes to create the creative lifestyle. I'm stoked because podcasting is a new venture for me, and I get to kick it off with my good friend Scooter, who's making big waves in the music world. Uh, If you haven't heard of him, Scooter is one of the biggest and youngest music moguls of our generation. And he is known for building the career of this little pop star named Justin Bieber. You may have heard of him. He's also got a few other acts that you may have heard of. Carly Rae Jepsen, The Wanted, Psy, The Gangnam Style Wonder, Tori Kelly, Cody Simpson, a few other huge acts of that nature. The uh, one, he's, one of the, he's really one of the most incredible, incredibly smart business people I've ever met. And beyond that, he's one of the most grounded people I know that operates in a world of fame and celebrity and what a lot of people think of as fantasy. And that's, that's really what I admire about him the most. Uh, his mindsets and ways of being have brought him the success he's built in such a young age. And that's truly admirable and he's really built something huge for himself and for the world and his dreams of bringing other people's dreams to life in the world and he's really making a huge impact and legacy in his world um and i will say uh day in the life of scooter is is always an adventure and it's been an honor to not only be friends with him but work with him in the capacity of making the world a better place. So that said, a few things we will learn uh, from today's uh, podcast session with Scooter is the definition of trying and what that really means, uh, running towards fear as, as a way to know when you're growing and as, to use it as a catalyst to grow. Uh, when you do good business, you know there's nothing to be scared of. Um, that in and of itself is is a very good uh, thing to think about. Everyone is equal. Uh, how not seeing hierarchy allows for great connection and connecting with um, anyone. The philosophy of giving, trusting your gut, and cutting the negativity out of your life. Huge one for me uh, that I truly believe. Money is a vehicle for freedom. If you had all the money in the world, what kind of life would you want to live? Uh, so many people are have a lot of money in the world, but live empty lives. And what does that really mean? Uh, the keys to building relationships uh, in the eyes of Scooter. And lastly, what does it take to really get into music? So we'll be learning all of that and much more. So without further ado, let's get into it.
how did you get started managing artists? Um, I started because I went down to go to college and play basketball, and um, that wasn't working out for me. Um, more, I was burned out, a lot of different reasons. But um, the kids in my school, they had access to money, and I didn't. So I threw some parties to make some extra money, and within six months, I was one of the top party promoters um, in the country college-wise. Um, I was number one. And um, I I was like kind of looking like, holy crap. And all these rappers and, and producers started coming because Atlanta was a hotbed for hip-hop at the time. And um, first artist to approach me was Ludacris. And then Jermaine Dupree right after said, why don't you come work with me at So So Deaf? And 20 years old, I found myself a big party promoter and the vice president of So So Deaf. Wow. And um, I did that for three years. And meantime, working with my own artists and learning through trial and error and you know, then working with Jermaine and getting on Emancipation Mimi and Confessions and then Jay Kwan and Anthony Hamilton and Youngbloods. And, um, and that's how Usher and I actually became tight in my time at So So Dep. And, uh, and I decided that I had all these ideas and, and I needed to get them out and they weren't going to happen if I was working for someone else. So I left and um, started my own company. And it was, I knew I had to sign acts that no one had ever heard of, no one ever wanted. And I could, you know, show, implement all my ideas on how social media is the new way to break acts. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, you built this kid's career. What was his name? Uh, well, first was Asher Roth. And Asher was a kid I found in MySpace. And everyone said, you need, you know, the big hip-hop stamp, you need everything else. And, and that kind of drove me to just prove we could do it. And um, took a kid with flip-flops who smoked weed from the suburbs and, delivered a number three album on Billboard and one of the biggest selling singles of the year with I Love College. Um, and then four months after discovering Asher, I found a kid on YouTube who had, you know, his biggest video was like 60,000 views and he had like four videos up. And, um, his name was Justin Bieber. And um, I flew him and his mom on the first flight he'd ever been on. And those were the two acts. And I literally had my apartment in Buckhead and down the street in Brookhaven, I had a house with a bunch of rats in it that I was paying for that Asher's boys lived in. And another townhouse literally two minutes down the street from that where, I, in my name, I had two illegal immigrants named Patty Millette and Justin Bieber living in that house from Canada. Amazing. So what what is that? So building Bieber's career made you one of the biggest music models of our generation, I feel. And what was the biggest thing that you've learned throughout that journey? And, and what did that take from you? Um, you know, I learned a lot through success and failure before I started my own label, just trying to get things going. I had a group called the band boys at this artist called Cato, and I was like, just kind of learning. And, um, I learned a tremendous amount through the Asher Roth process. I learned about teaching retailers. I learned about how to deal with the labels, um, when you own your own label and you're the manager. And, and um, and then when Justin came along, um, he was very young and he was willing to listen and very focused and hardworking. And I found a kid who worked as hard as I did, which was pretty remarkable. Um, and, you know, what really has taught me, you know, I trusted my gut a lot, but what has really helped me is, you know, complacency kills. And whenever I got a whisper that someone told me I couldn't do something, that kind of drove me to do it. When they told me I couldn't break Justin with a Nickelodeon or Disney, I never even took a meeting at Nickelodeon or Disney. Hmm. Um, when they told me that the only big international superstar I ever made was Justin, I got frustrated and said, well, what about Asher? 
And then I said, okay, sure, I'll show you. And I went and signed the Wanted, Carly Rae, and Psy within three months of each other. And Call Me Maybe, um, Glad You Came, and Gangnam Style are three number one records. And Call Me Maybe and Gangnam Style were the two biggest selling records of that year. And now we're doing it in country. We just, you know, had a huge EDM record with, with animals. And uh, I, I really think that I'm grateful to those people that create doubt because it makes me doubt myself and I, and I hate doubt. I hate fear and I run towards it. And, um, that idea that complacency kills, I never became complacent. And, you know, I think, um, what our goal is with my company is we say, we, we want to inspire the world to try. And I think we also want to educate people on what trying is. Um, because too many people say, okay, well, I tried it. Now I'm done. Yeah. That isn't trying. Just because you fail doesn't mean the effort is over. Um, I think that we want to show people that when we say we want you to try, I mean, we want you to try and not give up. If I told a little kid who's learning how to play basketball, okay, I want you to make this layup the first time you shoot a layup. And he ran up to the rim and threw the ball up and it didn't go in. He said, okay, I tried. I think we'd all look at him and say, and you're not done. And we're going to keep going, keep going until not only has he hit one layup, but he's hitting layups consistently. That's trying. Yeah. You know, um, and I think, you know, what I learned through this entire process and something I kind of was raised with is trying is a starting position. Mm. Um, you're not done till you succeeded. Wow. Wow. So that could, that the idea and the mindset of trying came from, from your upbringing. Is that, yeah, I think most of my philosophies came from the way my parents raised me. It's amazing. Yeah. You have some amazing parents. I mean, both you and Adam are very, very grounded people. I feel I appreciate it. You know, you know, our, the other siblings that well, but probably my sister's the best out of all of us. So, <laughs> and I finally got the chance to meet her like just recently. Yeah. And she is awesome. Um, so, what what's one of the biggest obstacles that you've overcome throughout your life and your career that's made you who you are today? Um, there were there were just plenty, um, but I think a lot of things happened as a young person that inspired me. Also, because I, I started working so young, mm. you know, I started my business when I was nineteen years old. Wow! Um, so, you know, when I look back. You know, I, I, a really big moment in my life was, um, playing basketball in high school and there was a full court press and we were playing a really good team and I had three turnovers pretty much right away. And yeah. as a point guard, when you have that many turnovers right away, it's, you get flustered <laughs> and I was scared. I was like, wasn't playing well. I was like, can I break this, this trap? These kids are quicker than me. Like why? Like I've never had this issue before. And I remember my father who coached me at the time calling a timeout, pulling me over, screaming at me. And then he looked at me and he goes, are you scared? And I said, I don't know. And he's like, you're scared. I said, I don't know. And he looked at me and he goes, okay, well, let me be clear about something. It's a game. It's a full court press, but it's a game. There's nothing to be scared of. Is anyone trying to kill you? Is anyone going to hurt your family? Is anyone sick? Because I'm pretty sure when this game is over, nothing in your life has changed. And I walked back on that court because he was right. I wasn't scared. And there's nothing to be scared of when I'm doing business. Like, yeah. no one is trying to kill me. No one's trying to hurt my family. If you do good business, there's nothing to be scared of. And that was something that I learned a tremendous amount uh, for the rest of my life. The other thing I also learned is um, 
you know, my grandparents are Holocaust survivors. So I always kind of wanted to defend people. I always wanted no one to be bullied. I always believed everyone is equal. It doesn't matter if you're working in a sweatshop like my grandmother did for 15 years. My dad grew up or you're the CEO. You know, everyone is a good person. Everyone is equal until they act like an asshole. And that's when you need to judge them. <laughs> um, and because of that, I never had a, you know, a sense that anyone was above me. Um, so I also do, you know, my dad told me a long time ago when I was a kid, every man takes a shit on the toilet, just like you, <laughs> um, you know, so, yeah. uh, so, you know, the, I, those are things I really learned that, you know, kind of molded me. And uh, when I was a party promoter, my mom asked me for every fourth party to donate to charity. Wow. And, um, that kind of put that whole giving back thing in me. Um, and then I backpacked with my brother when I left so, so deaf, I was about to start my label. He was in South America and I went and joined him for a month and we backpacked 15 hour bus rides, $2 a night, $5 a night hostels. And, um, and that was a really life changing experience because I remember going into a hostel and I put my bag down. It had all of my belongings. And I said to my brother, where do I lock it up? And he goes, you don't. And I said, well, then what happens if we get robbed? And he goes, you got to trust in the goodness of people. Wow. Because there's no point in going into this hostel and being a part of this culture unless you're going to trust the people in it. Hmm. And my baby brother right there gave me a lesson that I'm not naive. I'm a very realistic person and I know there are sharks out there and there are snakes in the grass and I will cut a snake's head off in a half second. And people know I'm, I'm not someone that, you know, likes to be fucked with. But, um, at the same time, what is the point of living if you can't have any sense of trust, you know? Yeah. And, you're going to live a much happier life if you trust in the goodness in people. You know, you and I just went out to Guatemala, went in the middle of the, you know, jungle and, you know, uh, saw this village and everyone was so like, oh, should we be doing this? Is it going to be safe? Is it this? You got to trust that the people, they know you're coming out there to help. Yeah. And you got to trust in the goodness in people that they're, they're not going to give you a bad experience. They want to embrace you because you're trying to embrace them. And, um, and if you go through life assuming that that's not the case, you're never going to find yourself in the middle of Guatemala having one of the most life-changing experiences of my life that you and I just had. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I want to believe in the goodness in people. And, and that was something that being a party motor in Atlanta, Georgia, dealing with a lot of the people I was dealing with, I was in a very shady environment. Yeah. And I lost that sense until I went backpacking. My brother gave it back to me. I was very grateful for that. Wow, that's amazing. So how does that kind of translate into trusting yourself and trusting your instincts I mean, and trusting other people? Um, that, that's the whole trial and error thing. It's like when you started out, I've always been a pretty confident kid and um, never want to go for peer pressure or be swayed by people. I trusted my gut. And, you know, there was a point in my career right before I left SoSoDef where I was trying to work with different artists. I was consulting. I was doing SoSoDef. And I was trying to get other people to understand what I, my vision was. And I wasn't trusting my gut. I was trying to cater to them because I wasn't getting what I wanted. Yeah. And that's what I usually tell young people all the time. They meet me and they say, Hey, I really, you know, I want to, I want to play something for you. I want to do this. And I look at them and I say, let me be very clear. I'm now one of the old suits. Yeah. I'm on the other side. Now you don't need my approval. My approval doesn't mean jack shit. You need the approval of the people. Yeah. You want to put it on YouTube. You want to put it out there. Tori Kelly, one of my artists, is a perfect example. She was signed by labels when she was 12 years old. She'd been told no, 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 no her entire career. 
And what did she do? She goes, screw this. And she went and did it herself in her bedroom, put it up online, and now is one of the you know hottest up-and-coming artists in the music industry. And she did it on her own. Wow. Um, she gave it to the people, and they decided to embrace her. So I, I, you know, I want to be clear about that point that, um, you know, what I've, I've learned through that process is that my opinion, I'm really good at getting people to turn their head, but I'm only good at marketing what I'm, what I'm given or what I, what I pick up. Yeah. Um, if you're shit, you're still going to be shit. I can, I can say you're manure and find a new use for you. You're still shit. Yeah. You know, and, um, I think when it comes to my gut, it took me failing a few times, not trusting my gut to realize what is the point of doing this? Because yeah. if I don't trust my gut, then I'm not going to be happy once I have the success anyway. So I cut out all the bad people in my life. If someone has any kind of negative energy, I don't care how smart they are. I don't want them around me. And I, and I trusted my gut and those two things. I've been very fortunate as a young person to become successful, but really love my life. Like I love the people in my life. I love yeah. what we get to represent. And I have a lot, I have friends who are very successful and very unhappy. And I think it's because they took a route to success where even at the end, you don't get to enjoy yourself. Yeah. You know, if you don't trust your gut, if you don't trust the goodness in people, if you don't surround yourself with positive energy, you might make a dollar, but that's not a good dollar. Yeah. That's a dollar that puts you in a place where you're still looking in the mirror and questioning everything about your life. And I've had, you know, success in a way where I now realize more than ever, cause I get to live it. Yeah. That, um, money is, you know, you hear preach all the time. Money is not an avenue to happiness. Money is an avenue to freedom. You know, you can't say it isn't, you know, it's, is it nice to know I can buy any, you know, a place that I want to live in? Yes. Is it nice to know I can take, you know, my family, my girlfriend on vacation? Yes. Is it nice to know if someone got sick, I can pay for their treatment? Yes. It's nice to know if I need to be somewhere, I can pay for that flight in a second. Yes. Yeah. It is an avenue to freedom. But once you're free, how do you want to live? And I think yeah. that's a question people need to ask themselves. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, legacy and the quality of life comes down to the relationships that you have with people and, and, and your family and, and the values. Cause that's yeah. ultimately what I feel is going to make you happy. No matter how much money you have, it's the quality of the relationships that you have. Absolutely. I mean, it's like you see these people are uber, uber wealthy. And then what is the privilege of that wealth to go on a vacation? But then when you go on a vacation, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to take time. And then yeah. when you take time and there's no one to share it with, you're, just as trapped as you were when you started working. Yeah. So what's the point? Yeah. If you, if you don't have anyone to share it with, if you don't have, you know, happiness, true happiness in your life, which you and I just, um, went down to both schools in Guatemala and we saw extreme poverty. Yeah. I mean, extreme. We didn't even realize till we left. Those people had no lights. Yeah. They're living in darkness after nine o'clock. And, I didn't see people who were unhappy. Yeah. I saw smiles. I saw camaraderie. I saw family. Um, maybe, you know, others could claim, well, they're ignorant to what they could have because they're out there in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. But they're happy with what they have. And it's because they have each other. 
they live as a community they live as a family and um there's a beauty in that yeah and uh you know you could have the biggest house in the world but if you're alone in that house you're still alone yep and unhappy Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a huge, and and that's it's amazing to hear from from your your side of the table and your perspective as well. I do live in a big house by myself, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, yeah, I have a lot of people that come over a lot. <laughs> yeah, but you've built a, a lot of amazing relationships in your life. Yeah, and like what, like I guess what's what's a key to building the relationships that you've built in your life? You know, it's funny you say that. I'm I'm going to turn thirty three in uh, in June next year. Yeah. And my 30th birthday, my brother turns 30 today, and my 30th birthday, um, it was a huge party for me. And I told my mom that night that all, so many friends of mine from around the country came in, around the world, kind of surprised me. And I told my mom that night that um, I feel like a success. Because when I looked around that room and I saw the people who represent my life, I felt like I did good. Um, And... When I look at um, my 32nd birthday and the people who showed up for that, I said the same thing. I said, yeah. if this is my life, I'm happy. Yeah. Um, so when I figure out how do I put these people in my life, um, be good, be kind, be gracious, be a good friend. And when you're a bad friend, because the times will come where you will be a bad friend. Don't be afraid to pick up the phone and say you're sorry. You know, I've, I always considered myself a friend who was always there. And recently, getting caught up in my own life and running around and trying to cater to everyone, I was a very bad friend to one of my oldest friends. Yeah. Um, he had a child, and he lived on the other side of the country, but I should have made the time. I should have found a time to fly in and see him. And every single time I said I was going to fly in and see his kid, something came up. And now the kid is, you know, almost a year old. And I just finally met him. And this is one of my closest friends growing up. And I was wrong. Yeah. And there's, you could say all the excuses. Well, I live a very busy life and I got to be with, you know, these people and I got to be with these people and I got to be, you know, I have so many different, I live on the other side of the country. I should have made the effort. I should have yeah. made it sooner. And when I got there and I met his kid, you know, I hugged him and, and I, and I, I went to my friend and I could see he was frustrated with me. Yeah. And I pulled him aside and I said, I want you to know there's no excuse. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. And and he forgave me. And it meant a tremendous amount to me. Um, and I know it meant a lot to him. And uh, I think if you want to have real relationships, it's easy to do it all right all the time. But I think the real test of a relationship is someone, if you're going to have good people in your life for a long time, you need to know more important than being a good friend you need to know when to say sorry to a friend when you make a mistake mm. and own it and and be gracious and, and humble enough to to maintain a friendship regardless of petty mistakes. Yeah. Um and and uh and I think that has been the most important thing to my friendships that I've the ones that are great that I've lost, it's because petty bullshit. Yeah. And, and so many of us have that and there's never a bad time to just pick up a phone and own it. And that's how you maintain real friendships. Yeah. Like human connection and, 
and talking on the phone. That's something I've just, I've actually been more connected lately with my friends that I, I became so disconnected the last few years that well, it's all over text. It's all over yeah, it's email. a hundred percent. And you're also trying to build something for yourself. Yeah. You know, you're 20, you're 30 is like you're working to build a future and it's consuming. Yeah. And you will make the mistake of not being there when it counts. Um, it's, it's inevitable, especially as we collect more friends over our lifetime. Yeah. Um, you want to be a good friend who's willing to pick up that phone and say, you're sorry. And, and if you can't, you're going to inevitably lose relationship after relationship. Yeah. But it's all, it also teaches you to be a person of your word. Yeah. And that's hugely important in like the integrity of creating a, a successful life. Absolutely. So, I mean, that said, like, how would you define success in life? You know, I've been asked this question many times. I think um, <laughs> there's so many different ways you can define it. But I think personally for me, I can tell you how I can define failure. Mm. Um, if I am the richest man in the world and my and I've done so much for charity and this, that, and the other, and my children walk up to that pulpit after I die, and can't honestly look in the crowd and say he was a great father. I am a failure. Wow. Um, if I have nothing and my kids can go up there and say that I am a good father, I am a success. So I think first and foremost, if you cannot be a success to your family by being there, then all your efforts are for nothing. Yeah. Um, so I... I can tell you there's so many different ways to define success. Cause you can say, I, I was successful in music. I was successful in sports. I was successful in philanthropy. I was successful in all these different things. But if you, um, you know, so many times we hear the phrase, we only hurt, we only hurt the ones we love. Yeah. Uh, because we expect them to always be there. Um, don't hurt the ones you love. Yeah. And that because we just know they're there. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's easy to hurt them. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I think if I want to be truly a success when this is all done, I'm going to have to be, a, I'm going to have to be a good dad. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, I can tell you like from the time that I've known you, your dedication to your family has inspired me. Thanks man. And it's, um, it's caused me to, to make more of an effort to be connected to my family and realize the importance of it. I'm not always the best at it. I mean, I, I try to be, but, um, you know, it's, I, I haven't lived close to my family since I was 18. Wow. And I've always traveled back almost every month to see at least some of them. Yeah. Um, and I've kept in touch uh, a lot and I try to be there always. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I only got one tattoo. It says family <laughs> and, um, yeah, they're, they're the most, they're the number one priority. Love that. So, I mean, let's take a couple points that you said before, uh, Go back and like, especially speaking of family, like when your dad was teaching you all these values of, um, you know, being scared, not and not being scared because it's just a game. How does that play into? How's that played into your your current life and your business and and career? Like this day, like you know, fast forward so many years later. Um, it is who I am. You know, it, a lot of people they say, "Who's your mentor? Who's your hero?" Um, my parents are first and foremost, my biggest mentors, and biggest heroes, you know, they had the most influential impact on my life. Um, it's amazing. So, you know, I definitely have mentors and people I draw from, 
but how I carry myself as a man is defined by how they raise me. Um, so, uh, I see it in every day of my life. I see myself giving advice to my artists and I find myself repeating words that my father said to me. <laughs> Um, my dad, every single night before we went to bed, used to come by me and Adam's room and say, good night, boys. Bronze are different. I hold you to a higher standard. Good night. Wow. And after you hear that every single day of your life, you start to believe it. Yeah. And I felt held to a higher standard. I felt that I was different. I didn't feel like I was better than anyone, but I felt like I had a purpose. Yeah. And I had to step up to the plate. Um, wow. And that helped me throughout my entire life. I can see it. Thanks. <laughs> and I mean, especially with you and, and, and your brother and your sister, like all of you guys, you can definitely see that you guys all shine and you guys have all been doing amazing things. Um, I think the other thing that stuck out, especially after hanging out this weekend, one of the, and I wanted to ask you about this and cause it's so important is that, you know, you talk about not seeing people, um, not comparing yourself and not seeing a hierarchy of people. You see everybody the same. Where did that, I mean, you said that come from, came from your family and whatnot, but I know a lot of us, myself included, struggle with that of comparing, you know, ourselves to others. And, you know, that's, that's a rare quality and a rare mindset to have. It, it's a very... Um different upbringing to be the grandchild of two Holocaust survivors. You know, it's, you know, people hear about tragedy and they hear about different things. I grew up with two grandparents I was very close to whose entire families were murdered. And they were in the camps. And you hear these stories growing up. And it, it changes you. My father's a very different type of man because he is the son of two Holocaust survivors. Wow. And there's been studies on this, how, you know, how the children of survivors are just different. Um, so knowing that's where I come from, knowing the stories my entire life, knowing, well, why don't we have cousins here? Because they're all dead. Um, you go through life refusing to let anyone put you underneath anyone ever again. Um, you go through your life thinking, I'm never going to go quietly again. Wow. Um, and in honor of the memory of those lost, you feel a responsibility to never let any man think he's better than you ever um and all you want is equality you don't want to be better than anyone you just want respect yeah um so that's where it comes from that's amazing and that kind of plays into like my next thing is is that one thing I really have admired about you and I, I admire about you is your generosity and your big heart and you care for people and that's been amazing to see like how's how do you think that affects life in general like um I think that I'm an extremely selfish person <laughs> and the reason is is because I get off on the giving yeah. Um, 
I, I get a thrill that no drug could give me. Wow. And um, I need to stop myself at times. Like, I'll see someone make a big donation to something. There's nothing to do with me. And I'll want to, like, literally match it. You know what I mean? But I can't do that every single time. I'll go broke. <laughs> um, but uh, but I I get off on it. I, I get off on the thrill of of the simple things. The you know when I was a kid, you go to the grocery store and you'd buy something, you know, at the bodega or something, and you know they'd owe you five dollars and change, and they'd give you six, and you'd <laughs> hand them a dollar back and say, "I think you gave me too much." And they'd look at you in complete shock of like, oh my God, you could have just gone. Yeah. And that is, that's a highlight of my day, you know, when something like that happens. Um, so I, I can't say that I do it selflessly because I don't, I don't think anyone truly does it selflessly. Yeah. You give because you enjoy it. You give because giving is better than receiving. Yeah. And, there's a beautiful selfishness in that. Um, so my mom instilled it in me. Wow. You know, when I was a kid, um, Jewish, so we had Hanukkah, and it's eight nights of presents, but not in my house. My house, it was one night of presents, and the next night, we would choose a charity as a family that we donated to. And the wow. next night, we got a present, and the next night, we had to choose a ch charity as a family we donated to. The next night present next night we would go out and have to do something as a family to give back to charities wow and my mom instilled that uh, that us in a, in a very very young age and we looked forward to the charity more than the presence because it was it was more exciting yeah um so i can't say that i'm like this you know saint for wanting to give right i'm not i'm an addict you know, I, yeah. you know, and anybody who's given or done it knows what I mean. And what's so unfortunate is I think the majority of people would do it. I think if you went out to everybody and say, Hey, you have a, you have a day off tomorrow. Let's go do something charitable. Yeah. They'd love it. Unfortunately, people just don't know where to go. And I think as a society, that's something we should be working on creating uh, with all this free flow of information on the internet. Yeah. Why can't we just go to a site and find a place to go do give back work? Yeah. And, you know, and and um, I think if we if we created that, which is something now that I'm saying I'm going to look into, we'd see uh, a huge amount of people stepping up to the plate. Yeah, I agree. I mean, do you feel like it's? I mean, I've I've always been of the philosophy: the more you give, the more you receive. I mean, uh -huh. I'm sure you've probably experienced that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I think you see it all the time. Yeah. And sometimes you see it right away. Sometimes you see it later on. Sometimes you never get back anything, you know, in material fashion. Yeah. You get it in the thrill. Um, and, and why do people do drugs? You know, people say all the time, oh, it's so stupid. Like, it could kill you. It could ruin your life. Like, yeah. But just, our society has such drug issues. So think about why do they do it? Because they're looking for a stimulus. They're looking for a thrill. Yeah. And the thrill so much more than any drug you can do. There's a thrill in giving. Um, we, it's just not as accessible to give in our minds as smoking a blunt or doing cocaine yeah. or drinking um, because we don't think about it that way. 
and and we need to. Yeah, yeah. And that was amazing to see like this weekend too, just in Guatemala to see Justin open up too. Yeah. It it opens a space in your mind. Uh, well, then think about it this way. If we hadn't created that, that opportunity for him, he would have just been sitting around, you know, going to the next show, anything else. But the moment we offered the opportunity, he was thrilled and ran towards it. Yeah. And I think that is something that most people in society would do. They just need to be given the opportunity to give. Yeah. And it was amazing to see his heart. Like, he's got a huge heart. Yeah, big one. And it was amazing to see that open up. Yeah, and I also think it was a beautiful thing because being where we were, they didn't know who he was. Yeah. People don't have electricity, they don't have TV, they don't have any. They didn't realize that there was this massive pop star in their village. They just thought it was another person coming to help. Yeah. And they embraced him and they loved him and he had so much fun. And I think for him, there was this weird feeling of normalcy that was so beautiful and so rare for him yeah. that it made it even more exciting. And it was, uh, it was a really amazing day, I think, for all of us. That was powerful for me, yeah, especially, and that's kind of I mean I, this whole thing has grown out of like my I connected with pencils promise connected with Adam years ago, and giving has always been a part of my philosophy and and that was my way of giving and it's it's given me given back to me mm-hmm. on it like tenfold without even my whole mindset is just giving to give, yeah, without expecting anything in return, and I've seen you know, so many, so much return off of it. And well, I think, amazing. I think, um, we have this weird thing that, you know, people who are successful are evil and, you know, they're going to, you know, they, they cut and clawed their way and screwed people over to get to the top. And that's majority of the times not the case. Most times people who are successful are just really hard working people. Yeah. And they put in the blood, sweat and tears to get where they are. And once they're there, they don't have time for negativity. They've worked too hard to get away from it. Yeah. So when you're a good person and they see you giving and they see you doing the right thing, you're being invited and embraced by them. And they want to help lift you to where they are because they see the goodness in you and they want that in their life. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's some of the best people I've ever met are successful and they're inspiring. Because they started with a dream and they made it a reality. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess that that plays into, I mean, your your vision for making people's dreams come true, and making you know making those reality. I mean, tell me more a little bit more about that. You know, I just wrote the mission statement for my company, and um, you know, it, it ends with you know we want to inspire the world to try, and in the middle it says we want to turn dreams into reality. And we want to show a kid their worth, their worth as meaning. Um, I'll read it to you another time. But, uh, you know, I, I want to leave my mark. Yeah. And I say this all the time. And I had a conversation yesterday with an um, extremely successful individual. I, was, uh, I had a conversation with um, Doug Morris, who's you know been a legend yeah. in the music industry for years. And he said he agreed... Uh, with David Geffen, another one of the guys I look up to, I also said this to, that I'm an idiot for thinking that I'm going to have a legacy that I'm going to be remembered. If you're stupid, people are going to forget you. Yeah. And I said, you're misunderstanding what I consider a legacy. I don't need people to remember my name. I want them to feel and remember my impact. Wow. Um, so I think 
kind of my goal with helping people reach their dreams, everything else that's part of that giving, getting off and giving. But it's also, if I can be a part of enough stories, success of, of living the dream, those stories become other people's stories. And those impacts become other people's impacts. Yeah. And five, six, seven generations from now, they might not know my name, but I'll be up there looking down, knowing that something that I did changed the world then. And that's, that's good enough for me. That's powerful. And that's what it's all about. Legacy. So a couple more questions. What, like, what advice do you have for anyone wanting to get in the career, like creating a career in music? Um, trust your gut. You know, you'll know if you're good quickly. <laughs> yeah. um, don't be afraid to fail numerous, numerous, numerous times. Keep yourself out there. Um, don't worry about the clubs and the parties and the, that bullshit. Do the work. Known as a, be known as a worker, not a network. Um, you'll have an amazing network if you're someone that could do the work well. People will seek you out. They'll want to know you. Yeah. Um, and that's how I made most of my relationships. People saw and wanted to meet me because they heard about things I was doing. And just because some executive, just because I say no, prove me wrong. Hmm. I will never be resentful if I say no to an act and they come out and become one of the biggest selling acts in the world and win Grammys and go, I will love the fact that I was wrong. And now they're getting to live their dream. Yeah. That is beautiful. So... If, if my if your hatred for me because I say no to you someday drives you to being a success, I'm good with that too. So <laughs> you know it's um just just don't think trying is going out there and shooting that first layup and missing and saying I tried to make a layup and I missed. Keep going till not only you make it, but then you make it consistently. Yeah, trying is the start. Finish it. Finish with success. That's amazing. Um, and the last question. So what does it mean to you to live inspiration? To live inspiration. I could go on and on about that question. I guess I'm just going to go with what Kano I got right away, which is um, you want to inspire other people. Live well. Like, be able to look, live a life that you can look yourself in the mirror and be happy with yourself. Because that's what's going to be most inspiring to people. Not the money, not the success. Because once they get to you, they're behind the curtain and they'll see what it really is. Yeah. So if you really want to live inspiration, if you want to be someone that exudes that, um, Live in a way that you're satisfied, first and foremost. Mm. You're satisfied with the life you're living. You're happy. Um, because so many of us out there in the world are scared. You know, it's part of our mission statement also. And trying to figure out what's next. And when they meet someone who's content and is happy, yet driven, that's inspiring. Because they want what that person has. We're inspired by something that we want to achieve. Something that we want to achieve might have been achieved before us. So when we're inspired by someone else, we're inspired by what they've achieved. Yeah. Um, so if you want to inspire the world, first inspire yourself. And, uh, and I think 
then everything else will follow. I love that. I love that. You've inspired me, my friend. <laughs> Look, dude, you, we feed off each other. Good, good people. <laughs> so, good guys always win. That's right. That's right. So if somebody wants to follow you on uh, on the interwebs, where should they find you? If you want to find me on the internets, um, yeah, I am uh, Twitter. I'm at Scooter Braun. Instagram, I'm at Scooter Braun. Um, you can find our company at, at SB underscore projects. Um, and uh, scooterbron.com and then spprojects.com, I think, is our website. Um, <laughs> they should know that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I think you can find me. Awesome. I'm out there. <laughs> I'm out there on the internets. Well, thanks so much. It was a super powerful conversation. And I trust that it's going to inspire a lot of people. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. Good seeing you, buddy. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much for checking out today's episode of Shop Talk Radio and joining me as we dive underneath the hood of the creative lifestyle. Again, I am your host, Nick Onkin, and if you enjoyed today's episode, then go over to iTunes and leave us a good review so that we can spread the word and inspire even more people in the world to live inspiration and share their inner creativity. Also, we'd love to see where you're listening to the podcast, so snap a photo on Instagram, hashtag liveinspiration, or tag me at Nick Onkin so that you can inspire other people to listen wherever they are at. But beyond this, check out NickOnkinShopTalk.com to read articles on creating the creative lifestyle anywhere from emotional intelligence to any other aspect of creative entrepreneurship. I'll be also posting up editorial content in the form of visual essays that I get to create with my photographic eye and my craft and my career. Uh, But most of all, get to join the underground creative community that we're creating. So thanks again for joining us. Now go share your creativity with the world.